everyone, welcome to Name Drop San Diego. Did you know that the city of San Diego has an immigrant affairs manager? If you didn't, you're about to hear all about it. On this podcast, we interview interesting San Diegans and Rita Fernandez is definitely interesting and so is her job. Mayor Kevin Faulkner created the position in 2019 and Rita is the first person to hold the job. In this job, she manages the city's policies on welcoming immigrants, refugees, and new citizens to San Diego. As she talks about on this episode, it's a personal issue for her, and she's taken on the job at a time when a lot of big debates and action are being taken on immigration. She's a graduate of the University of San Diego and a Chula Vista native. Here's our conversation with Rita Fernandez. Rita, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you here today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So my first question for you is that you've held a lot of important positions. You worked for the mayor of LA, you've worked for Congressman uh, Juan Vargas of San Diego. What made you want to take this job as immigrant affairs manager of the city of San Diego? Sure, well, as you said, I have a lot of experience um, with other elected officials here in San Diego, um, but really Southern California in general, um, working on immigration policy in some form or fashion. um, so when I saw that this position opened up uh, last year, this is the first time that the city of San Diego was ever hiring an immigrant affairs manager. And so it was such a historic opportunity. I felt like I couldn't pass up on it. And for me, it was really coming full circle. You know, I was able to really take my experience and my knowledge that I had you know, acquired from, um, from other my past experiences and be able to really come back home and apply all that knowledge um, and to be able to implement the, the plan um, that was part of the Welcoming San Diego initiative um, and to really work on such an important topic uh, for our region, just given that we have such a diverse immigrant community here in San Diego. So it's such a crucial um, a crucial issue at such a crucial time, really. So um, I thought it would be just the perfect opportunity um, to really give back. Um, and I'm originally from San Diego. So for me, again, this was coming back home Um, and the immigration issue for me is very personal and close and and near and dear to my heart. Yeah, we definitely want to hear more of your story. Um, But what was the reason for starting the Immigrant Affairs Office now? I think there's always been um, really uh, a desire in the community for there to be an Immigrant Affairs Office or someone that is dedicated to Immigrant Affairs specifically. Um, Even before I started, uh, the Department of Government Affairs, which is where I work, um, had been really uh, taking on a lot of immigration issues in its uh, its legislative platform and legislative agenda. Um, Excuse me. So my predecessor, Denise Garcia, um, who is the Deputy Director of uh, the Department of Government Affairs, as part of her international affairs portfolio, did a lot of immigration work. But I think it was really important, and I think the city really saw a need to be able to continue to to work on this very important issue by having someone that could really be the designated person to focus on it um, really solely and to be able to to implement the plan. Um, The plan itself um, was really the culmination of the work of the community, of our stakeholders. Um, The city applied for a grant uh, through Gateways for Growth and the California Endowment to really um, receive funding to be able to develop a plan um, to come up with recommendations for the city um, to further um, improve our policies and build our programs to help immigrants during the integration process. Um, So 
through that process, the steering committee, there was a, a steering committee of uh, representing stakeholders from a number of different sectors. They were able to convene. They took a lot of uh, feedback from other community organizations, from the public. They held a lot of public forums. Um, and so they, they were able to really integrate a lot of very comprehensive recommendations that range from education to economic opportunity, civic engagement. Um, and so the, the plan is just, I think, a, a great, um, a, just a great path forward for our city to continue to build on the work that we've really already done, because there was a lot done even before I, before I started, uh, but to be able to sort of streamline that and to, um, to continue to, to build uh, other programs and resources um, in the years to come. So you said this is a particularly personal issue for you. Um, why is that? And then I kind of want to know, like, what leads someone to even get into this subject matter, whether it was in high school, you found a way into it or college, um, but starting with what's your kind of personal connection to uh, immigration? Yeah, that's a great question. My parents are immigrants. Um, they're uh, immigrants from Mexico. Um, but, you know, I always like to remind myself that I'm actually the descendant of six generations of immigrants. So uh, my great-grandmother was born in Mexico City, uh, but she was actually the daughter of Chinese immigrants that were living in Mexico who immigrated in the late 19th century. Oh. And she married my great-grandfather, who was a Spanish immigrant, who at the age of 12 left Spain all on his own with not a cent to his, to his name, and just uh, went to, uh, to Mexico all by himself and really, you know, built a life. And so um, he actually, he also has an interesting story. He, um, during the Mexican Revolution, um, he fled the conflict and went to the United States and he was here for about five years, but then he always eventually wanted to go back to Mexico. Um, so he went back. Um, so my, he and my grandma, my great grandmother got married, um, had my grandfather um, who was born and raised in Mexico. Um, he married my grandmother who was the granddaughter of a French immigrant. He was actually a French soldier that was sent um, during the, um, the, the conflict there. That was the, the French intervention. So this was like a, for people that have heard of Cinco de Mayo, they, the Cinco de Mayo holiday commemorates the Battle of Puebla, which was a battle between the French and the Mexicans. And so my great, I guess this would be my great-great-grandfather was a soldier there. And after the battle, he wanted to stay in Mexico. He really liked it. And so uh, his last name was Motier, and he changed it to Carrasco because he didn't want people identifying his French heritage. And um, so in that process of integration, he um, really sort of assumed a, a different name. And so um, anyway, so going back to my grandparents, so they married, um, had my dad and my uncle who were born and raised in Mexico City. Uh, my dad married my mom, who is the her great great grandfather, um, or no, her great grandfather and great great grandfather were, were um, a Spanish family living in Sevilla that immigrated to Mexico. So, wow. and then of course, <laughs> right? And then of course, in the 1980s, um, my family, so my parents, my uncle, uh, my grandparents on my father's side, they all immigrated to the U.S. And I was born and raised here, and so. I really like to, to talk about that story when I can and to share that um, because it's my, my personal experience and my, my own personal history. But I think it also 
really emphasizes the point that migration is not really just an abstract concept that we talk about in a, in a policy sphere. It really is the story of, of us, of humanity. We're always moving. We're always going to different places to flee conflict, to flee um, economic strife, and also just to look for opportunity to sue new horizons and new beginning. And so I always like to, to remember that in the work that I do, that there was a lot of, there were many sacrifices and efforts that preceded me and I'm here and who knows, you know, where future generations may take me. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, I think for me, it's, it's so important to be able to, uh, to remember that. Um, so for me, it's a very personal cause. Um, and I think, you know, going even further, when talking about migration and talking about welcoming immigrants, we're really talking about welcoming people who um, we want to thrive in our community because they will be the ancestors um, of people that will live here, you know, for many years to come. And so it's so crucial to be able to welcome people and to also help them figure out their bearings to help, help them give them, you know, a little bit of direction. I oftentimes think about my great grandfather who uh, was a Spanish immigrant that came to the US um, during the Mexican revolution. And he, he was here for a few years. And I think about him because he didn't speak any English. He, he was Spanish, he lived in Mexico, he just spoke Spanish um, and he worked as a miner. Um, so he worked in a coal mine for five years. And so I think about how incredibly difficult that must have been to go to a country where you don't know anyone, you don't know anything about the country, you can't even really speak the language and you're already an adult, right? So as you get older, it becomes harder and harder to pick up new languages. So um, it was really, I think it's, for me, it's so inspirational to think about uh, all the, the sacrifice that came before me, um, but I think about his experience and it really, I think, puts into focus how important it is to help newcomers really navigate these waters. Um, and the value of welcoming them. And so that's sort of my, my own family's personal experience. And um, it's one that I'm very proud of. It really is who I am. That's incredible. I just have to say, obviously, you're the per perfect person for this job, <laughs> you know, not just a sort of, uh, you know, child of immigrants, but uh, coming from a long line. Um, I, so a question I have for you is, you know, obviously, it's, it's a nice service. And as an immigrant, this would be a great uh, program to get involved in, but like from the city's perspective, um, what is what is the benefit to the city? So I think that's a great question. And I think that there's a lot to be said about the benefit itself. I think that when people talk about immigration, um, you know, oftentimes the debate can really become, you know, high, highly partisan, but also divisive. Um, and frankly, there are a lot of misconceptions about immigrants um, and not just today, right? Not just in our sort of in our modern world, but um, if you look throughout U.S. history, other immigrants have also experienced um, discrimination. You look at um, some of the immigrants that came at the, at the turn of the, of the century um, and in the, in the late 19th century, um, coming from Eastern European countries, Italy, Germany, Ireland. Um, if you look at the history of Chinese exclusion, right? So there, there has been, I think, a lot of discrimination in the past. And many of the attacks um, that were used against those newcomers are now sort of being used again, where they're seen as a, a drain on the economy, that they don't pay taxes, that they're taking away jobs for native born Americans. And so um, all of these things, I think, are, are just, it's, 
really not based on data and not based on reality. There are, I think, misconceptions that I think, unfortunately, people sometimes believe. Um, but it's important to emphasize that for the city, there's a, a number of, of uh, a positive um, reasons why it's good to welcome immigrants. So aside from the economic benefits, which are many, um, we have our immigrant communities make a number of contributions through taxes, they're entrepreneurs, they create jobs. Um, but if you also look at the cultural and socioeconomic impact um, and really look at the contributions as a whole. Um, so in our city, for example, one quarter of our population is foreign born. But if you go even further into their US citizen born children, um, they're making a lot of contributions as well. And it's not just reflective of, of the city of San Diego and the county of San Diego, but if you really look at the country, some of the greatest innovative newest ideas are coming from immigrants. If you look at tech, um, you know, if you look at um, a lot of these very new industries, there's um, our immigrants um, are really sort of creating paths forward for a lot of these new ideas um, and really helping our country as a whole. Um, and um, so I think it's very important to be able to highlight that the contributions of immigrants are not just economic, but cultural and social. It's, um, it's really who we are. How did you find out that stuff about um, your, you know, your great grandfather and great great grandfather? Is that a common thing you all talk about as a family or did you go do your own digging? You know, um, we've actually talked a lot uh, about this, my dad and I. My dad and I are really interested in this kind of thing. Um, I think because when I was raised, um, so I was raised here in Chula Vista and I was bilingual, but I was also bicultural. So I had Mexican parents in my home. I spoke Spanish. I knew the Spanish uh, culture very well, Spanish society I've been, or Mexican society. Um, I know, um, you know, I, I really know those interests and I've been to Mexico many times, Mexico City, but other parts of the country. Um, so I really grew up with the Mexican culture in my home and then had my American culture when I walked out the door. You know, all my friends are, um, and I have many friends that were also in the same boat. We're all sort of bicultural, um, learning a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things as we sort of grow in this country where our, you know, our parents grew up in a different country. And so um, I think that was just a, a wonderful experience to be bicultural. But I was also raised in this region where we have a border region that is very, um, you know, it, it really is very porous, right? People live in Mexico and work in the U.S. They cross a lot. Um, I had my grandparents actually, before they came here to, uh, to San Diego, first they, you know, they were in Mexico City and then they went to Tijuana and then uh, came to the to San Diego. So they kind of like worked their way up. And so for me, it was totally normal to cross an international border on a weekend. Like there was nothing irregular about that. I remember when I lived in the East Coast briefly, I mentioned that, you know, I had gone to Mexico or something like that. And they're like, oh, you went, like you went to Mexico? How did that, like, how, what flight did you take? And I'm like, no, I drove. <laughs> like we, we just drove and there's a line. It's like a whole thing. And they're like, oh, and then you came back the same day. I'm like, yeah, that's totally like, it's just totally normal. You know, it's like going yeah. from New Jersey to, I mean, it's just, it's a very, it's a very common thing here. Um, and so um, being bicultural, I think my, my dad really emphasized the importance of our other, like our overall heritage, right? So it was very important for them that I knew Spanish, that I understood the Mexican culture and where I came from. 
And my dad also talked a lot about his, um, his grandfather's Spanish culture. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, as generations, I think, pass, you lose more and more of that knowledge, right? So I don't know anything about too, really too much about my great grandmother's parents and, you know, their parents. So, you know, unfortunately you lose that, right? So I know a lot more about my dad than I do about my grandpa and, you know, even less about my great grandfather. Um, but so for us, it's always been so crucial to keep all the history that we know and like preserve that and to talk about it. Um, and I think it's really given me a good global lens too, where I, I, it's really helped me define my identity, where I know who I am. I know that I'm an American citizen and I'm very proud to be born here. Um, and I also have this incredible heritage that spans three different continents and four, like, four languages. And so I think that's also very valuable to me um, as we, you know, as I, I kind of identify myself and really form that identity. I think that's been very valuable. Have you done like 23andMe or any of those genetic tests to try to find sort of distant relatives? I have. It hasn't worked yet, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah, so I've heard uh, mixed reviews about that. I have a, a friend um, from, from college that did that, and it produced kind of mixed results. But for me, it's, I guess I'm a little bit old fashioned in that way, where I, I really believe in the oral tradition where, you know, people give me photographs. I have pictures of my great great grandparents on my mom's side from my grandma's wedding. And mm. like I, I like to preserve those stories and, you know, to in the future be able to share those stories to future generations. Um, but I really like that. Um, and I, have, I haven't really tried 23andMe or any of the other programs, but um, I mean, I think it would be so interesting to know even more, you know, maybe there's uh, you know, more generations Right. I'm definitely one of the mixed review people. So my mom was adopted from Vietnam during the war. And because of that, I don't know her family at all. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to go try to find my Vietnamese side or even just like, um, you know, more about my sort of ethnic makeup on that side. And so when I did it, because it's not very common among Asian people, or at least wasn't then, it was like, oh, you're half Asian. Could be any of these 19 countries. Good luck. <laughs> it was just like not not helpful, but I, it's actually getting better. So uh, I don't know. It might be worth a shot. You know, what's so interesting is I tried doing the Ancestry.com thing once and there may be other people elsewhere in the world putting their family tree together and have some overlap with you. And it'll be like this username like is distant to your tree and you can message them and stuff, which I didn't go that far. I just, you know, I didn't know mm -hmm. who they are and stuff, but it is really interesting, like the way you can kind of build a web. And I hope that you can find that stuff, Christy. That'd be really exciting. Um, so my question for you, first of all, um, why, why did your parents decide to come here and live permanently? Sure. So my, um, my grandparents had, um, they had a, built up a, a business, a small business in Mexico. It was sort of like a stationary store slash, uh, like they would do also do wholesale. So they would distribute paper to, to offices. Um, and it's something that doesn't really exist now. Um, now we have the sort of the bigger chain like Office Depots and Staples of the world. Um, but at the time it was a very, you know, mom and pop family operation. And so my dad, I think always when he was growing up, uh, he grew up with the, you know, the American culture. And so, you know, I, I, he gave me his, all his records um, from when he was growing up. He was born in the, in the late 40s. 
Um, so I have like all his Beatles and Rolling Stones records that were like awesome edition. Like at the time they were <laughs> they were brand new. Um, so he always I think had um, and I think you know it happens a lot with um, because American culture is very much exported through entertainment and through music. I think he always had an affinity for American culture, and so he would you know uh, he would uh, take English classes when he was little, and so he read about you know. Jim and Jill, the little boy and the girl with like the little house and the picket fence and the little dog. And so he's like, oh, America, you know, that's <laughs> kind of interesting. And so he, um, when he was older, he, uh, he uh, traveled a lot and came to the U.S. Um, in the, this was, must have been in the 60s. And he really liked it. Um, he always liked Southern California. So he, his idea initially was to go to L.A. County. And so um, they, the idea was to open a similar business, um, in Southern California. So they started in LA County. Um, and so they built, uh, this, you know, this small business that was similar stationary. Um, unfortunately it didn't really take off too much. Again, I think this was really because the, that industry was really changing. Those types of businesses don't really exist anymore with many things that are sort of old fashioned, they kind of phase out after a while. Um, but so he always liked San Diego too. And so, although he had chosen LA County for like a business, he really liked the lifestyle in San Diego. And so um, eventually he came back and so, um, or he came here with my mom. And so uh, they really, I think saw this as a great place to make a home, to raise a family. Um, and so eventually um, my uncle also followed him um, to pursue also his, um, his career. He was uh, an accountant in his home country. Uh, my dad had studied business. So he was you know, really interested in, in small businesses and creating, um, you know, creating new businesses. Um, he had studied marketing. Um, and so he actually had done like a quick, uh, sort of like a semester abroad uh, at UC Berkeley when he was in college in Mexico. And so he really liked the country and wanted to come here. Um, and then eventually my grandparents followed because they're very close. And um, I think in, in many Latin American cultures, families are very close. Um, and so they were able to, to make it here too. And um, I think it, it was wonderful for me because I was able to really grow up with my family and grow up with my grandparents. Um, unfortunately, my, so my mom's side of the family, I, I was not able to really grow up with and get to know um, that much more, um, but they were, they remained in Mexico city and they're sort of living in many parts of the country. And so um, I've, I've been able to visit them and meet them throughout the years, but it's always good to be able to have family close, close by you. How did you get into this line of work as far as like, what did you study in college or where did you go to college and that sort of thing? So I studied at USD. Um, I went to, yeah, to the University of San Diego. I studied political science and I had two minors, art history and theology, um, which sound kind of like very varied, uh, very different decisions, <laughs> different, uh, uh, different uh, disciplines. Um, but I found that um, theology was really interesting um, because there were many courses on Catholic social thought and this idea of social justice. Um, there were also many courses on the history of Catholicism, which were tangential to the history of Im immigrants in the U.S. Um, because many um, newcomer immigrants, especially 
the ones from Europe were Catholic. And so anti-Catholic sentiment was intertwined eventually with, um, with anti-immigrant sentiment. So it's really interesting to study that as well. Um, so for me, political science uh, was always my major. I came into freshman year and always knew that I wanted to study political science. Um, I grew up with my uh, a family that was very uh, civically oriented. You know, they were all very... Um, opinionated on politics. They always like to talk about politics and current events. Um, and when I was little, I always like to, to sort of not really weigh in uh, too much, but sometimes I would kind of weigh in even though I, because I was so little, didn't really know too much about what was happening. But I sort of started at an early age to be really interested in that. And so I always knew that political science was what I wanted to study going into freshman year. And I added minors along the way. Um, and I really like the idea of working in government and being able to, uh, to be a public servant um, and to work on policy matters that really impact people's lives on a daily basis. That I think has always been an, an, like an issue of special interest to me. And immigration was not really one thing that I had zeroed in on in college. I think I had a number of different interests uh, ranging from like economic policy, housing, um, but didn't really have one specifically that I was zeroing in on that I wanted to, uh, to specifically focus on. Um, I thought about potentially going to law school and thought about maybe even immigration law very briefly, but I didn't really see myself going to law school and I had heard it was, you know, it, it's, it's expensive and it's a big sort of investment. And so I wasn't sure if that was right for me. So I gave that a lot of thought. Um, and then eventually, um, you know, going into my career, when I was working for Congressman Vargas, I worked in his Capitol DC or Capitol uh, office, Capitol Hill office in Washington, DC. And I was working on, first I worked on scheduling and moved over to communications. And because the district is on the US-Mexico border, it really is the only California district that's on the US-Mexico border. The other states, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona have more than one district that sit on the border, but California is very unique in that way. And so I was really exposed to border issues and immigration issues that I had already thought about just given the region where I grew up, it was my hometown. Um, but I was able to really be able to take a deeper dive into these issues. And many things happened while I was there that I think really impacted my thinking and I think really changed my direction and really started putting me in the path uh, forward to being focused on immigration issues. And so things like um, there was the extension of DACA um, which was very big at the time. There was also the, the humanitarian crisis at the border um, that involved the unaccompanied minors. Um, that, this was back in, I believe, 2014, um, coming from Central America that were um, seeking asylum, but they were all unaccompanied minors under the age of 18. And so all of these issues, I was able to really see from a policy perspective. So not so much on the ground here locally, but to see in Washington how ideas are sort of implemented, how policies can be crafted that ultimately impact people's lives. And uh, Juan or Congressman Vargas was very uh, engaged in, in immigration. For him, it was also very personal because his parents uh, were immigrants and his father was a bracero. He came as, a, uh, as part of the bracero program in the, I believe the fifties. And he was very passionate about immigration, very passionate. 
and uh, he himself was a Jesuit at one point. And so I, I found that really impressive. And I think that also really gave me the opportunity to take a deeper dive into that issue from a policy perspective, but then also to be exposed to a number of different people that are working to make impact on that issue, um, you know, in government and from an advocacy standpoint. Um, so I think that was kind of the, that sort of got the, the snowball going. Um, and then I eventually did want to come back to California. I always knew that I wanted to come back to Southern California. Um, and I ended up um, getting a job with Mayor Garcetti's office. And I, I started uh, for a few months in the communications office and then moved uh, quickly to, uh, to the Immigrant Affairs Office, which for me was a huge opportunity to continue to work on this issue. I worked on immigration in, in this communications office, but this was a, a much more exclusively focused job on immigration policy. And I started in December of 2016. So it was a very interesting time, right? Because I was able to see how the dynamics were shifting in immigration policy um, and people were really preparing for what was to come. I saw the priorities change from um, naturalization, uh, spreading the word about integration resources and tools to really going into a more sort of like an emergency mode where we're talking about know your rights, we're talking about, you know, patient defense. There are all these other issues that were not necessarily top of mind and all of a sudden kind of came came up very immediately. Um, and so, uh, you know, throughout, I, throughout the years there, it was such a, an interesting and very rewarding experience to be able to work on immigration issues for a, a major California city. Um, during a time that is so unique and where we're seeing so many changes to immigration policy. And so it's a, it was definitely baptism by fire in that sense where I was really immersed into it um, right away. And thankfully I was working with a team that was very invested in the work as well. And we were able to see how so many new changes um, were impacting people um, in, a, in a very personal, uh, very, uh, very unique way. So we saw through, you know, the rescission of DACA, the travel ban. Um, there's also uh, the family separation policy that drew so much criticism nationwide because it was, I mean, rightly so. Um, but it, it, there were so many changes um, in that time. And I think it was interesting to be able to focus on immigration from a city perspective, um, because I think oftentimes people wonder, well, why does a city need to have an immigrant affairs office or an immigrant affairs manager? There doesn't seem to be much of a role for a city, just given that the federal government is really the jurisdiction that creates federal policy or immigration policy and that enforces it. And so, um, although that's true and the city does not directly itself have that influence to change immigration law in a very direct way, there's a lot that cities can do. So cities can welcome their immigrants and help them navigate the immigrant, immigrant integration process and can also use their, their platform and their voice to really raise concerns on certain policy moves, things that are detrimental to the immigrant communities uh, in their region or things that are positive, right? They can advocate for things that are good, things like DACA, um, which we've done a lot here. Uh, we've also advocated a lot for refugee resettlement. Um, and so these are the things that cities can do and it's crucial that cities uh, play this role. 
um, because they are sort of the at the forefront of integration. They are the first welcomers. Um, and we're seeing increasingly that right now with shifting global migration trends in light of conflicts, in light of climate change, there are many factors really continuing to drive global migration and people are increasingly moving to cities. They're going to large metro areas, areas like San Diego. And so cities like San Diego, other big global cities in America, around the world, are increasingly seeing the value in immigrant integration work. And for many years have been engaging in that work. And so I think it's, it's very important that it continues. What are the issues you're following now uh, as far as immigration goes? And, and what are the, the outcomes you hope to see? Is there anything you're advocating for now? Yeah, so we're definitely advocating on a number of different issues. So some I mentioned, which are DACA. Um, and with that particular issue, we're seeing that in light of all the litigation, um, you know, the, the course of DACA and the rescission have, has been, I think, very confusing for a number of people because it, the program was rescinded in 2017 in September. And then there were a number of lawsuits that followed that decision. And eventually it made it to the Supreme Court. And this past June, the court did not uphold the, the administration's decision to um, rescind DACA. And the administration, the court's system has now really um, directed the administration to accept new applications and to continue to renew existing applications. But DHS has issued a memo saying that they will not be um, accepting any new applications. They are accepting renewals, but only for one year. So the, I think there's a lot of confusion around all this, right? Because the things are, the goalposts are kind of moving constantly. Um, so that's an issue that is very important for us. Uh, DACA uh, recipients in California, California actually has the largest population of DACA recipients. And we have a number here in the San Diego metro area, about 9,000 as uh, per DHS's last count. So um, it's a pretty significant number. And these are children, well, I mean, not, now, not children anymore, but now adults that know no other country but the US. They are Americans in every way, except for the papers that they hold. Um, so that's one very important issue. We've been advocating for, uh, for DACA to continue to exist. Um, we had uh, co-signed a letter um, asking the administration not to make any additional cuts, just given that we're in the middle of a pandemic and we have 30,000 uh, healthcare workers in America that are DACA recipients. So they're very crucial <laughs> right now. And uh, they're, they're doing very important work in combating the virus. And so um, that's very important. Um, there's also refugee resettlement. Um, the refugee resettlement uh, process has faced some very drastic changes as of late. Um, the ceiling uh, for refugee admissions for each fiscal year has been declining. Um, so that number we've seen really go down. Um, and at the beginning of every uh, fiscal year, uh, which in the, for the federal government starts in October, um, the administration sets a ceiling for the, the upcoming fiscal year. And so this uh, late September, we saw that the announcement was for 15,000 nationwide. Um, the previous year, it was 18,000, but in actuality, only 11,000 people were resettled. And refugee resettlement is one of those issues that um, many Americans feel passionate about because it really is emblematic of our welcoming spirit. These are people that are fleeing some of the most difficult circumstances around the world and we have uh, traditionally been very welcoming and the resettlement program itself has carried a lot of very bipartisan support uh, since it was implemented in the 80s and so we've been really supportive of continuing resettlement in the city of San Diego 
and nationwide for there to be continued resettlement of refugees. Um, and then of course there's a uh, public charge, which uh, you may have heard of this policy. It's essentially a policy that would deny visa and green card holders based on the fact that they could be perceived as being primarily dependent on public benefits, specifically federal public benefits. So there, there's that issue. We've also been vocal against that, um, as well as uh, fee hikes for naturalization. So citizenship applications are already pretty steep. Uh, they're fairly expensive, uh, approaching $800. Uh, the administration wants to raise that to $1,200. Uh, we don't believe that's a great move because once you do that, you're really cutting access, right? It, it already is an expensive process, especially if you have families that have multiple people naturalizing. Um, and if you make it even more expensive, that further limits access uh, to, to a number of people. So that is another issue that we're, we're also advocating on. So many, many changes um, and many positions that I'm very proud that the city has been able to take. It's interesting to me this work is being done under um, a Republican mayor. That's not necessarily what you would expect given your policy stances. <laughs> does, does the job change when the administration changes? Well, I think the issue of immigration, I think it says a lot that our mayor is the one who appointed an immigrant affairs manager uh, for the first time. So none of his predecessors had ever appointed someone to do this work specifically. And he's very supportive of the plan of the Welcoming San Diego strategic plan. Um, he was very, um, for him, it was very important to be able to create this position and to appoint someone. Um, so, you know, it's certainly not lost on me that this very historic appointment was made under a Republican mayor. I think it's um, the issue of immigration, I think, can be, uh, can draw a lot of different opinions. But I think that really deep down, if you look at the nation overall, um, public opinion on immigration is generally fairly favorable. And if you look at the history of immigration policy, um, there have been other uh, there have been administrations that are both Republican and Democrat that have supported immigration policy. So if you look at Ronald Reagan, for example, um, he had an immigration uh, bill that he signed. Um, and there was the, um, you know, what people call amnesty, which created a pathway to citizenship for many people back then. And he was a Republican, right? So um, I think there is actually very broad bipartisan um, support for immigration. I think immigration, like any other issue, um, once people begin to really understand it, when there's more information and knowledge being shared about the issue, they begin to understand it more. And therefore, they begin to really capture all the nuance. And so it doesn't become so much a black and white issue of, you know, this is good, this is bad. But then they kind of understand, oh, okay, so this is a little bit more complicated um, than what we originally thought, right? And there's a lot to it. And um, I think that's that's very important, I think, to, uh, to really be able to highlight that this is an issue that's very important for our region. And um, it's been important for, for the mayor. And I think, again, it doesn't, uh, it's not lost on me that I was the, the first person to ever be appointed in this role. And it's quite an honor. Um, and so I'm very thankful to be working with uh, a number of different uh, local leaders in the city that come from different, uh, different backgrounds, different parties. And uh, I think that's what uh, really makes the immigration issue so important that we're all sort of working to elevate it.
um, given our sort of respective uh, political ideologies in the world. I'm really looking at this as an important topic. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, all I meant was that it's it's just interesting. You know, basically, you're pushing back on federal policies. They're instituted by a, by a Republican president. I, I know that, of course, that the city's uh, stances can differ from that. But yeah, thank you for that. So on this podcast, we've kind of gotten into asking people about pop culture related to their profession. And in your case, I think maybe what we would want to ask is, uh, what would you recommend for people who want to learn more about the immigrant experience, whether it be books or movies or podcasts? Uh, but sometimes they mention movies that are just completely terrible or not even close to <laughs> representing, um, you know, your job field or um, the experiences within it. So what would you recommend or what are some of your favorites or what would you absolutely recommend against? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. I, w I would highly recommend The Farewell, um, which came out last year. Um, and it's such an excellent movie. It's, it's very beautiful and very well written. Um, it was uh, Lily, Lily Huang, I think is the director's name. Um, and I think it was based on her personal experience. It's basically about a, um, a woman who uh, lives in New York. She's the daughter of Chinese immigrants and a large part of her family has remained in China. And so now they are finding out that her grandmother has cancer and they don't wanna tell her because they're afraid that if she knows that this might really bring her down and that it may impair her recovery, right? And so the whole movie is about them going back to China and she's having this argument with her family members um, and she's arguing that they should tell her. So she knows of, of all the risks and is aware, um, but they are sort of pushing back on that. And so um, the reason why I love it is because it's a great movie. It's well, very well acted, very well written, but I think it also really captures so many of the nuances of the immigrant experience. And I saw part of, part of it really connect with me personally, where you see Billy, who's the main character, she has her sort of, she grew up in America and she has all these sort of American features, right? Like of her, her sort of how she, her outlook and how she sees certain things. So she's, she's uh, American and in her, in her mind, you should tell her about this, right? We should talk to grandma about, about her illness. And so you see the sort of the complexities of her, um, her culture and her immigrant heritage mixing with her American culture. Um, I think it also really beautifully captures um, how the physical distance between yourself and your your family members that remain in other countries, um, how that uh, separation really, I think, um, is very anxiety provoking, right? Because you uh, you have family members that you maybe sometimes see throughout your life a few times, and then you leave them, and that's very sad. And then you come home, and you probably won't see them for a few years, right? And so I think it captures that uh, that very well, that sort of issue with the physical distancing for prolonged periods of time, and that you miss a lot of connections with your family. You miss a lot of holidays, a lot of major events. Um, and uh, that the dynamic that she has with her grandma, the grandma's such a, a funny character too. Um, she definitely reminded me of, of my grandma. Um, and so it's a, it's a really good one. I think if people want to get a better sense of uh, what's it like for a first generation uh, d descendant of immigrants, a, a child of immigrants. I think it's a great movie uh, to be able to see that. Um, for things that are negative about immigrants, oh boy, um, where to start? <laughs> there, <laughs> there are a number of things in, in the culture that are 
that are not very good reflections um, on the immigrant story. Um, I'm gonna have to think about that one a little bit. Um, it's not coming directly to mind, but that's a, I will say um, there are a number I think of, um, I think when we think of stereotypes, um, stereotypes about language, about behaviors, um, I think that's always, I think, very good to be able to identify that those are um, oftentimes reflections that are just really negative and incorrect, frankly, they're just not, um, not accurate depictions. And so you can definitely see that, I think, throughout Hollywood. I, it's so hard for me to think of one specific one, I think, because <laughs> there can be so many. Like, I'm thinking, like, there are a number of different, uh, different very uh, anti- immigrant, uh, very negative sort of tropes out there. But um, but I would well, today I'll lean a little bit on the positive side. So I will recommend The Farewell. Yeah, you gave a great recommendation. So you yeah. covered it, I think. <laughs> yeah, I second that. That is a really fantastic movie. Um, well, our final question for you, because this is called Name Drop, we like to give our guests the opportunity to name drop someone in the community that's meant a lot to them, you know, either as a mentor or just inspired them in, in any way, shape, or form. And so for you, who would that be? Hmm, that's a great question. I'm afraid that I'm probably going to leave some people out. So allow me to go back in time. Actually, I'll go really far back in time. Um, so my third grade teacher, her name is Shelly Magnin. I went to Clearview Elementary School in uh, here in Chula Vista. Shout out. And <laughs> she was just a great teacher. She's by far one of my favorite teachers of my entire K through 12 education. Um, and the reason why she stood out to me so much was because she was so supportive and understanding. Um, and thinking of her now, I, you know, I've always reflected on, on her as a, a, a really a teacher that it's so good that she picked teaching as a profession and specifically elementary school um, because she was very supportive. Um, and especially during a time when you're very young, very impressionable and things when you're in elementary school can seem scary. And there were many times where she comforted me and um, I really am very thankful that. I remember when I uh, went through my sixth grade graduation, I uh, went back to, to the classroom and said bye. And, um, but yeah, she was, uh, I think, a wonderful teacher. And um, I think, you know, even though you uh, go through life and you have your many influences and uh, people that helped you along the way as you were creating your career, it's always good to look back at like the people that helped you along the way when you were uh, when you were young and you sort of at your most vulnerable, right? Where you really need someone to just believe in you and to support you. And so Shelly Magnum is the one I wanna shout out today. <laughs> I love that. That is our like uh, longest throwback answer, but I, I totally, I feel that I can relate to that. So Seriously, shout out teachers in general. They are just like having a time right now. We love those teachers. Mm -hmm. Thank you for all you do. Yeah, oh, yeah. seriously. Well, Rita, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really fun conversation. Likewise, I really had a lot of fun talking about all these things. Um, it was a great time, and thank you very much for having me. I love hearing people talk about their ancestry. It makes me want to go digging into my own family story. Yeah, me too. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to get to know Rita Fernandez on this episode. Every Tuesday, we bring you a new conversation with an interesting San Diegan. We hope you'll consider rating us in your podcast app and even going back and listening to some of our other really awesome episodes with people like Tony Gwynn Jr. and Master Chef winner Claudia Sandoval. 
Subscribe now to find out who we'll be talking to next. Thanks for listening. Bye.